Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Andrew. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. A couple months ago, I got to step into a new role here at First Free and Worship, and a lot of people have been asking, hey, how's it going? And it has been going so great. I love worshiping and being led in worship by Alec and Jason and Stephen and, and Marlis and our whole worship team of volunteers. I've loved working with our tech team and we don't give them enough credit for the amazing job that they do, Martin and Ava and Amy and their whole team of volunteers. So could we take just a moment and thank them for leading us this morning? This morning, we are so excited because we're stepping into a new series called People Are Asking, and we're looking at some fascinating questions. Why doesn't God answer my prayers? How could a loving and good God send people to hell? I'm a Christian, and I still have doubts. Is that okay? It's going to be an amazing series, and we're so glad that you're here to join us in that. The series will also be just a little bit different in format. We'll have about a 20-minute message set up from our pastoral team for each of these questions. And then we've got these chairs here up on stage. We're gonna feature a panel each week of trusted voices from our congregation. These are people that you know and will recognize from our church family. They've got expertise and experience wrestling with these questions. And just like you and me, they've, they've struggled with these questions and, and looked for answers and sought to apply them in their lives. So we think you're really gonna enjoy having a chance to hear from our panelists throughout the series. And we've got a great panel that's gonna share with us this morning here in a little bit, so we're so excited about that. As we step into this new series together, there's two commitments that we wanna make right from the beginning. First of all, we wanna commit to follow God's word. We wanna commit to follow God's word. Anytime we're dealing with difficult questions, there's a tendency either to just kinda casually go with culture and popular opinion, or to follow our own assumptions about the question and the topic. And we so need God's word to guide us, to lead us, to correct us where we're wrong. And Isaiah 40, verse eight, it says this, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen? Amen, we believe that to be true. So culture is not our source of truth as we answer these questions. Our own opinions are our source of truth. The word of God is our source of truth that we will go to that consistently to lead us, to guide us is the ultimate source of truth in this series. And then second, we wanna to commit to listening to each other well and to loving each other well in this series. Man, anytime you engage with tough questions, there's a chance for great conversations marked by listening and love and care. And we've all probably experienced the other side of that where you're in a conversation where you feel really deeply about something that you believe and all of a sudden the conversation leads to division and conflict and minimizing the other's point of view. We want to avoid that as, as we step into the series. In Proverbs 19, 13, it says this about listening in the midst of conversations. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Let's commit to listen well as we have conversations in the midst of this series. I remember a conversation that I had with a friend. Uh, this was many years ago when I was kind of a young and very enthusiastic believer over dinner where he shared some serious doubts about Christianity. And I jumped right to an answer. I shared scripture. I talked and talked and talked. But my friend got quieter and quieter and less engaged. And my answer was, quote, right. But the way that I went about sharing it was just a total mess. As I talked with my friend Later, I learned there was a long story for him of hurt and confusion connected to this story, and I really missed a chance to love him well by listening to that story and stepping into it by jumping ahead to the right answer. Now, the right answer is important, but the way that we get there and the way that we love others along the way is just as important. So let's commit to do that as a church family. We're gonna have some amazing opportunities to invite friends and coworkers and neighbors to, to come and be a part of the series with us. And we hope that you'll invite them to, to come and enter into the conversation. This commitment to listen well reflects our church commitment to an undivided mindset. And if you're new to First Free within the last couple months or haven't seen the Undivided series, I'd recommend you check that out on our website. We unite around the most important essentials of our faith. And then we create space to have conversations, informed conversations, gracious conversations where there is room to differ on secondary matters. That's so important to who we are as a church. So we wanna commit to that. And I encourage you to check that series out. 
This morning, we are diving into a really important question. Does the Bible say there's only one way to God? Does the Bible say there's only one way to God? This is one of the most common objections to Christianity in our culture. And there's two things that are happening right now that bring us to the forefront. First, we're encountering more diversity. There's more diversity than ever before in our nation. Racial diversity, ethnic diversity, cultural diversity, political diversity at kind of both ends of of the spectrum and religious diversity. We're, We're more diverse than we've ever been. And then within that, there's a really interesting shift statistically that's taking place from religion to non-religion. In 2020, there was this interesting study that found that one in four Americans are basically completely religiously unaffiliated. One in four just kind of say they really want nothing to do with any one religion at all. And for the younger generations, that number goes up. It's one in three. One in three Americans, 18 to 29, are religiously unaffiliated. And it's not just the younger generation. For those 65 and older, back in the 1980s, only 3% were unaffiliated. Now that number is up to 14. So whatever generation you're a part of, there's simultaneously more diversity that we're seeing and people just moving away from religion altogether. The second thing that's going on culturally is this growing embrace of tolerance and relativism. Now, tolerance is the willingness to allow something one doesn't agree with, and this is necessary for society to function. But as a culture right now, I think we're moving beyond that to an aggressive relativism that goes beyond recognizing that differences exist and instead asserts that all perspectives are equally valid and also that it's wrong or arrogant to tell someone their perspective is incorrect. I think this creates a lot of tension for us as followers of Jesus. There's more opportunities to share what we believe with people who believe differently, and there's more cultural pressure to stay silent. Tim Keller, author of The Reason for God, a pastor in New York, did a survey where he asked people for their objections to Christianity in New York City. And this question, is there really only one way to God, came up repeatedly. One of the survey respondents said this, said, how could there be just one true faith? It's arrogant to say that your religion is superior and try to convert everyone else to it. Surely all the religions are equally good and valid for meeting the needs of their particular followers. Another survey respondent put it this way. He said, religious exclusivity is not just narrow, it's dangerous. Religion has led to untold strife, division, and conflict. It may be the greatest enemy of peace in the world. Man, these are important questions. How do we answer them? This morning, I wanna look at three important principles from the Bible that will help us to engage with this question. I want us to spend some time in God's word and then we'll have a chance to hear from our panelists. Let's pray and ask God to guide us as we dive into the Bible. God, I pray that you would lead us this morning. Would you direct our hearts in your truth? Help us not to listen primarily to culture. Help us not to listen primarily to our own assumptions about what is true. God, help us go to you. We believe that you're the source of truth. God, you're living water, the way, the truth, and the life. So we wanna hear from you this morning. We invite you to speak in Jesus' name, amen. first truth I want to look at from the Bible is that all people are created in God's image. All people are created in God's image. In Genesis 1.27, it says this, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Scripture is so clear that all people are made in God's image. This means they're designed to reflect, to know, and to be in relationship with God. Humans are hardwired to connect to their creator. So religion and spirituality and all the different paths that people take to God reflect, at the very least, this made in the image of God desire to to connect with God. Now, they may do so in a way that is misconstrued or, or misleading, but they reflect this nonetheless. I'm gonna adjust this just a little bit for you guys hearing a little feedback. How's that? That better? Cool, awesome. Um, This made in the image desire that we have to connect with God. A.W. Tozer put it this way, and think about this quote. This is such an interesting quote. A.W. Tozer said this, 
the yearning to know what cannot be known, to comprehend the incomprehensible, to touch and taste the unapproachable arises from the image of God in the nature of man. Deep calleth unto deep, and though polluted and landlocked by the mighty disaster theologians call the fall, the soul senses its origin and it longs to return to its source. It's kind of a deep quote and there's a lot to think about there, but even within the fall and the brokenness of of man in our world, and we'll talk about that, there's this yearning to know God and connect with God. We need to engage that yearning with other people with a holy humility. When we engage in conversations about faith with those with different positions, it's not an argument or a debate to be won. We're engaging with fellow image bearers of God. Doesn't that change the way that we engage in the conversation? It leads us to listen deeply, to seek to understand, to treat them with respect and thoughtfulness, to see how God is already at work in their lives and to find common ground. This is how Jesus engaged in spiritual conversations in scripture, and we should follow his example. You know, in our well-intentioned desire to come to a right answer quickly, we can fly past the simple power of treating someone else as a fellow image bearer of God. What if in every conversation where we were talking about faith or religion or the things that really mattered, we engaged looking for ways that that person reflected God's image? I would so powerfully and so beautifully kind of change the conversation. So that's the first truth. We're made in God's image. The second truth is that all people are broken by sin and guilty of sin. We talked about the paths that we try to take to God and and searching after him, made in his image. But it's also true that the paths that we take to try to find God are broken themselves by sin. Scripture says there are false teachers, there's false prophets. We're in the midst of a spiritual battle where there are evil powers who are seeking to deceive. So we're created in God's image, searching after God, but we live in a broken world where the search for God itself is broken by, by lies and by falsehood. And it's not just true that we're broken by sin, but also that we're guilty of sin. This definitely isn't popular culturally, but it's so important as we think about this question. The Bible teaches that all people are guilty of rebellion against God. Look with me in God's word at Romans 1, 18 through 21. It says this, but God shows his anger from heaven against all the sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. It's it's clear for everyone to see. It's written in the sky. It's written in creation. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. What what Paul is saying here, and this is kind of a hard truth for us to hear culturally, but we need to hear it. There's not an excuse for not listening to God, for not recognizing that that he exists. It's teaching here that all people have deliberately and intentionally rebelled against God. We need to let that sink into our hearts. I think so often as we think about this question, we can look at the lives of good, moral, and upright, or at least decent people, and and wonder, is that really true of them? We kind of see the sin in the person who cut us off in traffic, right? Or the person who really annoys us at work. Yeah, maybe that person is sinful. But what about kind of my good neighbor that just lives down the street? There's an illustration from Francis Schaeffer that I think can help us on this point. Imagine that every person was born with a tape recorder that recorded not their words, but their thoughts, and specifically the judgmental thoughts they had towards others. It recorded every time they had a a moral thought against someone else, thoughts like, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they were so selfish. I would never do such a thing. I, I can't believe that was so wrong of them to do. Then imagine at the end of your life, you had to listen to that tape recorder play back all of your moral pronouncements against others and then measure your own life, your own moral failings, your sin, your selfishness, your laziness and lust and lying, your greed, your hatred and your anger. You had to measure that against your own standards for others. 
man, I know in my own life, I would fall so woefully short of even my own standards that I impose on others. And if that's true, how much more true is it that we would fall short of the perfect and and holy and righteous standards of God? The Bible says that none of us see ourselves truly. Yes, we're made in God's image. We're capable of goodness and justice and beauty. But the difficult and foundational truth of the Bible is that we're broken by sin and guilty of sin. This is so important when we think about there being only one way to God. How could God reject good people seeking to do what is right? But the message of the Bible is that no one is good. No one seeks to do what is right, it says in Romans 3. Regardless of how, quote, good anyone may appear on the outside, all of us are guilty of rebellion and sin against God in ways that we can see and ways that we can't, and we desperately need his rescue. But, this is the good news, in Jesus there is hope. And this leads us to our third foundational kind of anchor point that helps us engage with this question. It's that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Look with me in Romans 3, 22 through 25. If you've got your Bible, you can just flip over to the next page. This is a familiar verse, and many of us have heard it before, but don't miss a chance to engage with the truth of this again. Romans 3.22 says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. This is such good news. We are saved by grace alone. God's grace is his undeserved kindness. And in his grace, God makes us right with him, not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it it puts it this way. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. You know, many of us work so hard to be good, to try to save ourselves somehow, to try to earn salvation. The radical and freeing message of the Bible is that we can't. Salvation is a gift. It's by grace alone. And we're saved through faith alone. What does that mean, that we're saved through faith? Look again at Romans 3.22. It says, We are made right by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, by our faith. This is so important. What does it mean? There's an intellectual component of faith and believing that something is true. But biblical faith is more than that. It's entrusting your heart to Jesus entirely. It's believing him, trusting in him, giving yourself to Jesus with all that you are, committing to him. This is not a good thing that earns us our salvation. Rather, it's the humble response of a heart that's been transformed by God's grace. So we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. In Acts 4, verse 12, Peter says this as he's sharing the good news. He says, there's salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And Jesus himself, and and John says this in John 14, 6, a, a familiar verse, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, I think if we're not careful, we can mishear this a little bit. Jesus is exclusive on this point, not because he's prideful, but because he loves us. He isn't standing in front of heaven with his arms crossed saying, my way or the highway, you're wrong, I'm right. Jesus is stating a simple truth of of fact, and he's standing with his arms open, inviting all to come to him because he alone died for our sins. He alone rose from the grave, and in him alone there's eternal life and salvation and forgiveness and freedom and assurance. He is the only way, and Jesus in love shares that with us. I was talking with one of my friends who's a pastor about this topic as we were wrestling with it together. And one of the things that he said really stood out to me. He said, what makes something true is not how sincerely you believe it. It's whether or not it actually corresponds with reality. 
in Jesus being the way, the only sacrifice that is sufficient to pay for our sins, the only one who has conquered sin and death, friends, that corresponds with the reality of our universe. So Jesus says, come, I'm the source of life, of forgiveness. I'm, I'm the way, come to me. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that's such good news. Have you accepted that? Maybe today is your day where God would lead you to, to step into a relationship with him. We'd love to talk with you about that. So those are our three points for this morning. We're made in God's image. We're broken by sin and guilty of sin, and salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I wanna pause just for a minute and step back and take a look at the big picture. Does the Bible really say that there's only one way to God? These truths in God's word leave us with the answer of yes, and Jesus Christ is the way. Now, each person who finds him will have a different story. They'll walk a different journey. And in Revelation, there's a joyous multitude of every people, tribe, nation, language, and tongue who are praising Jesus for giving his life for us on the cross and the salvation that is in his name. And we look forward to that day. But until then, I think the truths here in God's word leave us in a place of, of tension. It's the tension of living in a broken world where so many reject Jesus or have never heard of him. These truths lead us to wrestle deeply with that reality. And if that reality doesn't move our hearts, I think we miss what Jesus and the Bible are saying here. That, that tension of living in a broken world where there's so many who, who don't know the Lord, it needs to move our hearts deeply. That's why Jesus calls us to go and make disciples, to share the gospel, to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have, to let our light shine, to pray for others. Man, we need to be engaged in that mission as God's people. And I think if we don't feel the tension of these truths and don't feel sorrow in our hearts over so many who don't know the Lord, we can become so distracted by all the other priorities and pursuits of life. Or we can just casually go with culture and kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, I guess all paths lead to God. We could just grow cold to the, the truth that is here in God's word. And if we miss that, we can become distracted and disengaged from sharing Christ with people who desperately need to hear. And our hearts need to be moved deeply for those who don't know God. And I've just felt that tension so deeply in my own heart. God challenging me saying, hey, Andrew, are you engaged? Are you following me? Are you, are you obeying me and sharing Christ with others? There's a, a story that I wanna uh, close with here as we get ready to transition to our panel. When I was in college, I developed a good friendship with a Chinese exchange student. We played basketball over at the rec center and then we would play ping pong. And I normally won in basketball. I was about a foot and a half taller than him, so that helped. He destroyed me in ping pong every single time we played. So much so that he decided to train me using a method he had learned in China where we played with two ping pong balls at the same time. And at first, I could barely even return a single volley, but by the end of the semester, I could actually volley with him for about 30 seconds, two ping pong balls at the same time, and I got a lot better. He was really, really good. Our, our friendship grew really close, and as the semester went on, I felt God leading me to share Jesus with him. I was in a Navigators campus leadership group, and they were encouraging us, always be on the lookout for chances to share your faith, and this seemed like a good chance. We were, you know, most of the time we just talked about classes and sports, but there were a few times where we talked about family and culture and beliefs. And I felt God leading me to share, but I would always hesitate. I was nervous about sharing too aggressively and pushing him away. I was nervous about sharing the wrong thing, of, of making a mistake. I didn't want to mess up the friendship. And so week after week after week went by and it came to the end of the semester when it was time for him to go home. I just felt God say to me, hey, Andrew, it's now or never. You know, this is kind of your last chance. So I invited him over for dinner. We had a, a great time together. And I asked him if I could share a little bit about my Christian faith. And he was so open to hearing. I shared a gospel illustration with him. I think he heard it and understood it. I don't know that there was an amazing moment of conversion necessarily, but he was really open and he, he really wanted to hear more. And so we talked for a while. I think I gave him a book. And then a couple days later, it was time for him to go back to China. And on the one hand, I was really excited that I was able to share with him. But as I looked back, I so wished I would have engaged earlier. 
I, as I thought about it, I realized he was probably more intentional to train me in ping pong than I was to share the gospel with him. And that was a miss on my part. If, if, I wish I would have shared at the beginning of the semester and had a chance to dive deep into God's word with him. So this story, this message, it leaves me feeling called to engage. I'm praying that God uses these truths in my life to engage more and more with those who don't know Jesus. And I'm praying that God does the same for us as a church family and for you. And so towards that end, I wanna invite our panelists to come on up and join me on the stage. We're gonna have a conversation about what it looks like to apply these truths. During this series, we won't do a closing song, so we will have a little bit more time to, to hear from our panelists and our service. Let me move this quickly while they come on up. Well, guys, welcome. It has been so much fun to talk with you guys this week and to grow and to learn from you. Joining us for our panel this morning, we have Kathy Nelson. Kathy has been going here to First Free since 1993. She was on staff in missionary care and global outreach for many years and has such a passion to share Jesus. Kevin Crosley has been at First Free for 20 years since 2002. He's on staff as our pastor of leadership development and operations, my favorite title to share. And what I love about Kevin is his heart for authentic conversation that lead to Jesus. And then Sue Rasher, Sue's been a part of First Free for a long time. She has also served in African and Middle Eastern Muslim majority context. So Sue, we're so excited to have you and to share your stories and experience with us. And then Eric Mansky, who is, I believe, our newest staff member to join us at First Free. He's our new global outreach coordinator. So it's neat that we have Kathy and Eric here with us and Eric and his wife Dawn have a huge passion for St. Louis, for foster care, and just for sharing the gospel through missions. So guys, welcome. Thanks for being here. I ended this message kind of wrestling with the tension of these truths and how that pushes me to wanna to share God's word. How have you guys experienced that tension, the tension of this question in your own lives and journeys? Well, I can share that living in the Muslim world, um, we encountered Islam face-to-face -face up close, and we saw that it was um, man's effort striving to please God, no grace that Andrew was talking about earlier, and in that, no assurance even if and when um, God could be reached. So that's what we saw face to face. And I think the tension came in building relationships with these people and coming to love them. And I began at some point just to even wonder and to question, God, can't you make an exception? But in, in realizing that, and I was really saying, if you knew them and loved them like I do, uh, but he did, and he placed someone in their life who could tell them that. Yeah, thanks, Sue. That's really interesting. Um, I think in contrast, Sue, to your experience living in a culture where there was one dominant road to God through Islam and um, trying to represent Christ there, as I've gotten a chance to work with high school and college students, um, kind of the prevailing feeling there is all roads lead to heaven, right? That all religions are okay. Kind of the quote that you had up there from the Tim Keller survey, and yeah. um, it's, it feels to them very unfair, uh, very arrogant to say, well, no, God says there's one way, and the other ways are not equivalent to what God is calling us to. And so I think you asked about where I've seen that struggle and that tension. Yeah. Um, I think for our kids, for our students, that that's a very real challenge is why is this fair? Why is this okay? Don't all roads, if you believe them deeply enough, lead to God? Lead to yeah, God. I think there's such a desire to talk about those questions, to dialogue, to, you know, to engage. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think what I have found just in my experience overseas and doing some of the ministries and with what uh, both Sue and Kevin are saying is a lot of times what I see it comes down to is just a misunderstanding of a definition of how are you defining what is really truly good? And 
oftentimes the people that we're encountering, they're, they're not like evil people. They're not going out and trying to destroy lives necessarily. They're doing what they really feel is what should be good. What are the things that they're called to do? I think it helps to remember Jesus is the only central historical figure of a religion that claims being God himself. And when we're talking about, you know, the question of does the Bible really say there's only one way to God? Well, it's, it's you're saying God himself has come and is telling you here is how to come to me. So naturally, yeah, that's going to be the one, the one way to get there. Um, and it, it's just when we're interacting with a lot of people, helping people to understand, well, how are you determining what is good? How do you know that that is good and something else is not right? I think we wrestle with that. And a lot of why people have a hard time with that too, emotionally, goes to some of the questions we're gonna get to later, particularly, we don't want to say, if you don't follow these things, you're gonna go to hell. I mean, that's a real harsh way to put things, but if we're not understanding a proper definition of what is good and right, we're going to be confused about a lot of things. Yeah, Eric, we're so excited to look at some of those questions later in this series. And I think that's so powerful to kind of lead with a question. How do you define what is good? You know, I think there's a takeaway for us just to engage with questions and, and to listen. And that could be so powerful and creating a chance to hear people. Kathy, anything you want to add? Yeah, it just seems like as we're trying to share too that people are satisfied with where they are. You know, they've they've come up with the system of what they believe and they're they're content, satisfied, and they're not open to sometimes even talking about the topic. Yeah, I think culturally right now there's in that shift from religion to non-religion, it's almost like we've replaced religion with materialism, with status and culture, with some other things, with some small g gods. So I think as we have conversations with people, we need to kind of dig a little deeper and try to unearth that longing, you know, that, that people really have and to, to have some of those conversations and connect with them there. What scripture passages have been helpful for you guys as you have thought about this question, as you've thought about sharing Christ with others? How has God's word been able to guide you and help you and encourage you? Well, Andrew, I just like the one that Peter said to Jesus, you know, Lord, who do we go to? You have the words of eternal life. He's the answer. Yeah, that's such a concise, powerful scripture for this topic. That's good, Kathy. I think a passage I like, it's sort of a life first for me, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord always and lean not on your own understanding. In all ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And again, the way I look out and see what so many people are doing is they're leaning on their own understanding, which is very natural for us to do. I mean, we're trained in a way to do that in our culture. We have jobs, we've learned how to do things, we're very capable. And if we do anything wrong, we have parents and bosses that will tell us how to do it right. And we just have to follow that. Um, we get used to thinking eventually, I know the right way to do things and I can trust myself. And we've all been through the teen years. We know what it's like to struggle and wrestle with that. Um, and it's very difficult to eventually learn to say, you know, I don't know everything. I am not 100% correct in my own views of who God and the Bible is. As long as I've been doing this, I'm not gonna claim I've got it 100% correct. I have to trust that God knows and I continue to go to him and learn new things all the time. Yeah, that's so good. I think Eric, God often uses the process of engaging with others to sharpen us and to grow us. And just how, that's a familiar verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, but one important takeaway, lean not on your own understanding. That's so challenging for us in our culture. But around any of these questions that we're gonna be looking at this series, that's a, a really good theme verse for us to go to. Yeah, I think I had an experience recently um, about leaning on my own understanding. Um, Yesterday afternoon, Pam and I got dressed up to go to a wedding, and, and we, um, we, we drove to the venue, you know, it was hot, but I was wearing my black suit, and um, we got there. It took us an embarrassingly large amount of time to realize that the wedding is actually tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe that was just as a gift from God to realize it doesn't really matter how sincerely you believe something. 
if what you believe sincerely is not true, and if you just lean on your own understanding. Um, you asked about scripture, and I just think about the way that we approach this one way to God thing often feels to others like Monty Python's Holy Grail and the knight that stands at the, at the passage and says, none shall pass. And that's not the Jesus that we find in scripture, right? The Jesus that we find in scripture is a Jesus that in Revelation says, I'm standing at the door and knocking, and if anyone opens the door, meaning the door to our hearts, then I'll come in and fellowship. It's the Jesus who in the Gospels we see inviting Zacchaeus to come down from the tree and to, to come into the house and to share a meal and to have relationship. And um, this was this, this concern for the people was the reason that Jesus came. And in Matthew 11, we see him addressing this, this issue of exclusivity, this issue of separation um, when he has been serving in these towns and doing ministry and telling them that he is the way, the truth, and the life and performing miracles to demonstrate the truth of what he's saying and being rejected. Hmm. And, and he says, what sorrow awaits you, Corazon and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in the wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads and showing their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you just hear the anguish in Jesus' words there. Yeah. Um, but it's only a few verses later that the Jesus who says, I stand at the door and knock, and who invites Zacchaeus down to fellowship, says, come to me, all who are weary and carry a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. And, and that's the Jesus that I see in Scripture. Yeah, and I love the modeling there for us, Kevin, of engaging with all of God's word. Sometimes we can kind of cherry pick the, um, the nice passages of scripture. And so often when we look at the Bible, some of those just kind of friendly verses that people just sort of used to say, oh yeah, there's only one way, God loves us. They're surrounded by these other verses that also talk about the exclusivity of Jesus. And so we need, as we talked about earlier, just to engage with the Bible just like that. Sue, I know there were a couple verses for you uh, in John and in Genesis where God kind of, God has encouraged you. Um, I like 1 John 5, 11 to 13. Yeah. Um, I like that God hasn't left it us, left it up to us to find the right lock, you know, to fit the key, but he's clear. He says, um, and the testimony is this, that God has given eternal life. He he who has the son and the eternal life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. I have written these things that you may know that you have eternal life. And earlier I mentioned the lack of grace and assurance. And I love this passage because it's so clearly given the grace that he has extended to us and the assurance in that. And as a, as a believer, um, you know, I trust God's word, and that is what he said. It's, it's not me being narrow-minded. It's what God has said. Um, I guess another, another passage that, um, that I'm really drawn to is the story of Hagar in Genesis. And, um, you know, I've never thought it was fair that uh, Hagar, Hagar had to suffer the consequences of Sarah and Abraham's trying to take matter into their own hands to fulfill God's promise and to bring about his son. But in Hagar's story, you know, it was a plan B, but um, God reached down to her. He revealed himself to her um, as the God who sees and provided um, her son with living water. So I love that passage and that it just shows, yes, God is just, but he's also merciful and graceful and full of grace. Yeah. 
And I love, Sue, you drawing attention to, uh, in God's word, we have these very clear passages that give us principles and truths. And we have these stories of God interacting with people who don't know him, both Israelites and non-Israelites. We see God's heart for all people throughout scripture. And those stories can be so beautiful just to see God's heart. Kevin, what you were talking about earlier. Okay, we've got time for one kind of final question. In terms of application, for those in our congregation who wanna step in, who wanna engage, who wanna share Jesus, and man, there's so many chances here in St. Louis to do that. We're a diverse city. One in four people in St. Louis are religiously unaffiliated. There's, there's chances to, to step in and share with our neighbors. What do we do? What are our action steps here? How do we apply these truths? Uh, I'm gonna jump in first. As your new global outreach coordinator, we definitely have a lot of opportunity to be involved and to help those that are involved more directly than maybe you can be at the time. We have about 25 missionaries that we share globally and here in the States as a church. And I realize there are a lot more missionaries that we as individual people and couples support as well. Um, so you can definitely learn more about that. We will have short-term missions and other trips available to go on, so definitely sign up for those. Um, but Eric, I also want to speak. I can jump in, as we support First Free to Give, that mm -hmm. money is going to support those yes. missionaries. I think sometimes we don't talk about that enough, that in our faithful giving to First Free, we're supporting, right. sending, and launching 25, was it? Missionaries mm -hmm. all around the, the country and the globe. That's amazing and encouraging. Yeah, and I, I also want to speak to kind of the other side of things because I, in addition to having this role, I have a full-time role at um, a corporation, and I know sometimes it's hard for us to speak about these topics in our workplace, and um, I've, I've been in education, I've been in the corporate realm, and there's a way to do it. I mean, you don't just blast people with what you feel should be right, but there, it is possible to have these kinds of conversations with people even in the workplace. I remember one time I was working at Starbucks and a young woman and I there um, were in discussions about things and got around to what we believed and why we believed it. And I shared with her, got to a point where I was able to explain, well, I, I just don't believe that anyone to the level of what God would require is good to that level. There is no one that's good. Um, we just can't reach that, um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't try to do good things, but no one on their own is going to be there. And she just was appalled. She looked at me and she was like, well, that's so negative and pessimistic. How can anyone believe that? And, and you know, this is a non-believer, so I can't just necessarily go over to, you know, well, Jesus died for your sins, all that kind of stuff. So but what I helped her to see is I said, well, I mean, Think of it this way, can you even live up to your own standards of what you feel is right? And that helped her to really kind of understand, okay, that's true. We don't, we have our own standards of what we feel are right and wrong. We don't even live up to those. How are we really going to expect to live up to a holy God's standards? That, that got her a little further along the path. I mean, I think it's also helped to remember we're just a part of what's going on. It's not up to us to bring everybody all the way around. God is using people all around everyone to help them get to know him better. So that maybe will take some of the pressure off as well. He's just calling you to do your part, to be part of what he's doing. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. You know, I think... I think about uh, a C.S. Lewis quote that I'll just paraphrase, um, that God whispers to us in our joy, but he shouts in our pain. And Lewis calls suffering God's megaphone. And I think when we, when we ask the question, how do we connect with people around us, that when people around us are suffering and going through pain, that's a huge opportunity for us to be Jesus and to bring the love of Jesus into those situations. Yeah. And this weekend I've been thinking about the receiving of the recent court case and this decision that is, is causing so much pain and suffering for people that, that disagree with that decision. Yeah. And some on social media in the name of Christ are kind of taking a victory lap or dunking on the political opponents. And I think it's such an opportunity for us as the church 
to recognize the real pain and suffering that people who don't know Jesus and who aren't following are, are experiencing. And to, to use that as an opportunity to, to love, to not give up the truth, to know the truth, yeah. but to speak the truth in love. Um, and and it's, it's left me wondering in, in those interactions, um, what Jesus will they see in me? And, and as we go along, it's going to create opportunities for others, other women who are suffering with unexpected, unplanned pregnancies. And, and God, I believe, is going to give us an opportunity to, to be his hands and feet in those situations, too. Yeah. Um, and so when we look for opportunities to share the one way to God, so often it's in the midst of people's suffering. And it's through love and compassion that we can offer in Jesus' name. Yeah, amen. I agree with you guys, with um, Eric and the good question, and with Kevin on being just sensitive to where people are trying to work in their pain and stuff like that. I kind of thought, why am I on this panel? I don't have the gift of evangelism. People say I have a passion for outreach, but I can only tell you maybe three of you people I've led to Christ. But it's not because I don't have the training or all the biblical knowledge, the evangelism explosion class, all that stuff. I'm probably too introverted, so sometimes I'm not engaging enough with people to have those conversations. But God's working on that. He's helping me grow in my love for other people. But despite my personality, God is always working. It's his kingdom, and he's building it. We had an interesting experience recently. Scott and I were walking around our neighborhood and we paused to talk to a neighbor, and he said, is, do you guys have a Bible study at your house on Tuesday night? You know, all those cars are parked out in front. And I thought, oh no. He's gonna complain about how we're parking and filling up the neighborhood. And what he said was, could I come? We were blown away. It just amazed us. So I'm learning that as I focus less on having to share the whole gospel from beginning to end, see my own deep sinfulness. So I speak from a position of humility. I listen more, like what you were saying with your friend. God is giving me those chances. I don't have, think you have to know so much apologetics. In most cases, you just need to know what you believe, your relationship with God, and some bits from, from the Bible, but you're looking for a, a place to share a piece of truth. And that may be all you get to share for that day, but that's what God's calling you to at that moment. Yeah, thanks, Kathy. If, if I can just add one other little piece to that, too, that kind of came up as we were talking. I think sometimes we also struggle with the people reaching out to being deserving. And we need to remember, regardless of what people have gone through, we didn't deserve to be rescued either. And so none of us are really deserving of this truth. It's a, a good point to remember. Yeah, that's good, Eric. Sue, what about you? What kind of practical advice would you have? Yeah, I, I've, we've talked about neighbors and um, the workplace, and even as Andrew shared earlier in our culture today, it's more and more diverse. So my answer maybe ties in more to the immigrant, and um, I would echo the listen well, the love well. You know, the refugees that we served, um, so many times we heard them say, it's the Christians who, who help us. Um, so love, love speaks a lot. I would also say um, to, to share stories from God's word and to, to share stories of God's word at work in your life. Um, and I guess I, I would like to share a story. <laughs> Um, we had the privilege of, um, of meeting a Yemeni Muslim background believer refugee family. And the husband came to Christ, um, and he was very vocal about his faith, so vocal that he had to flee Yemen for his life. And he left behind his wife and two sons. Um, they eventually were, were reunited. Um, but then I later had the privilege of discipling this wife and her new faith. And um, her story is powerful in that she shared 
that um, her husband shared with her, but she was reluctant. There was a lot of fear that kept her from responding, fear of um, leaving her culture and religion that had been her whole life, fear of the consequences. Um, but what spoke to her heart most was that uh, she, or what began to speak to her heart was that um, she would hear her husband praying for her late at night, and then he left, he had to leave, and she began to read God's word for herself. And in reading that, she began to see the truth of it, and that truth helped her to step beyond her fear and to... Um, you know, into seeing the love of God and what he had done for her through Christ. And um, she put her faith in Christ. And as we were doing a Bible study once, we were kind of comparing what the Quran says, um, you know, about Jesus. There's, there's some signs in that, that point to Jesus and what the, what the Bible says. So we were looking at the story of Noah. And we read the story of Noah. And then we got to the verse that said, and God shut the door. And with tears of understanding, her reply was, if God shut the door, if God's going to shut the door, then I need to tell my friends and family and people who are, aren't in the ark. Wow, thanks, Sue. I think that's a really good place for us to kind of close this service with this desire to share Christ with others. To go back to what Kevin shared earlier, Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. He's inviting us to come into relationship with him. And there may be some of you this morning who have felt drawn to a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've realized that your way or your path is, is not following the true way of putting your faith in Jesus. If that's you, I just invite you to come forward. We would love to, to talk with you about that. And then for the rest of us as we close, I'd like to invite you to pray and just ask God to lay the name of one person on your heart that you might wanna engage with this week, that God may be leading you to engage with this week. It'd be incredible to hear stories of how God has, has used our church family just to share his love with others. So let's, let's take a moment and, and we'll pray together. God, we invite you now to lay the name of a specific person on our heart that you would like us to love, to care for, to pray for, to, to listen to God, maybe to, to reach out and, and invite them uh, over for, for a meal, just to step into their lives. For every person in our church family, God, would you be laying one specific person on, on their mind and on their heart? And then God, we just invite you to work. We invite you to work in our hearts. We invite you to work in, in their hearts. We know, Jesus, that, that you're the Savior and that you're drawing all men to yourself. So we, we invite you to do that here in St. Louis and here in our church family. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.